Get to the church, blind! Get to the church, blind! Go! Now! I'm Pete Mitchell, and he's Peyton Jones, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planning, the companion podcast for the Church Planner Podcast and Church Planner Magazine. Each week, we'll bring you interviews from planners who are in the trenches making it happen right now. These active church planners bear it all, share their successes, their failures, and what they'd wish they'd known when they were first starting out. Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plan. Hey, church planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. And we're here for Hardcore Church Planning, and I have absolutely no idea what episode we're on, but uh, that's all right, because it's going to be a good one. Like it matters, right? Like it matters. Exactly. Peyton, why don't you go ahead and introduce our guest, because this is going to be a topic that um, I really, I can't wait to hear more about, because it's, um, well, I'll just let you introduce the guest, and then we'll go from there. Okay, so our uh, guest today is John Burke. You have probably heard of John Burke, and you may not have realized it, but a few years ago, there was a, a kind of a little slogan and some memes and it was no perfect people allowed. And all the way in Wales, UK, um, I saw that, thought it was awesome. I remember seeing Barbie dolls with like black uh, bars across their eyes. And then it said, no perfect people allowed. And I was like, man, I'm stealing that. And so that, that made its way. It was, it was, I thieved it from John. Sorry, John. You steal and, the uh, Barbie dolls? I, uh, no, I didn't. No, although if they were there, I would not put myself above taking your Barbie dolls. But I, I haven't seen the Barbie doll version. That should be interesting. But oh, nice, nice. Well, <laughs> I think I think what I'm saying is that many people stole that from you, John. <laughs> and I probably well, stole it from people who stole it from you. But here's the deal: there's nothing new under the sun. Amen, so. brother. Amen. <laughs> And and all of that fuel comes from the same well. It just goes into different gas tanks. And uh, anyway, so my guest today is John Burke. He is a church planner. Um, he is the head of Gateway Leadership, which was developed to help coach and assist and mentor church planners. He still actively uh, mentors church planners, including Angel Flores and San Pedro, which I'm giving him a shout out because if you go to San Pedro, you deserve a shout out. And uh, he's also the author of a book called Imagine Heaven, and that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today. So, John, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. All right. Well, hey, we're going to flip our question around today. Normally, we ask you how you came to faith, but that ties in with the book. So, we're going to ask you, how did you get into church planning, this crazy little ride that we're all on? <laughs> well, you know, I, I didn't actually intend to go into ministry and never intended to become a pastor, but you know, God has a sense of humor in a way. And uh, I was actually working in, in engineering out in California and started volunteering at a new ministry, campus ministry out there. And one thing after another, I became a missionary, uh, lived overseas in Russia for a year right after the coup and um, then ended up working in in a church and uh, then God led us to uh, Austin 17 years ago, and we planted Gateway Church in Austin out of uh, uh, really with the goal of reaching uh, a a post Christian generation. People who, you know, they they don't you can't make assumptions about who God is, about knowing anything about the Bible or that it's true, um, and so that really has been uh, our whole 
our whole philosophy. And, uh, you know, we started with one small group that grew to two, to three, to four. It was a, a network of people just loving and serving people far from God. And we've, uh, we've continued to see it grow like that and, and have seen thousands of people come to faith and, and really go from lost to, to leading others. And that's, that's really what, what we're about. So that's why I have a passion for helping other church planters, you know, create come as you are environments where people don't stay, you know, as they are, but really become the church, leading the church forward. Awesome. You know, one of the things that we always like to ask, and Peyton just alluded to this, is we like to give people the background on your story, and it kind of ties in with your book. So if you would, tell us your story of how you came to faith. Yeah, it it does. It ties right into uh, why I wrote Imagine Heaven. Um, my dad was dying of cancer uh, when I when I was a teenager, um, late in high school, and and um, I was not a believer. Uh, I didn't I didn't know what I believed about God, Jesus. I mean, I, I believed in the next party. <laughs> that was about it. And uh, but death was knocking on our door, and and someone had given my dad the first book on near-death experiences, uh, where, where people have died, clinically died, and been resuscitated and claimed they saw a vision of the life to come, heaven, you know, or in some cases, hell. Uh, and anyway, I read it. I picked it up off his bedside dresser, and I read it one night. And at the end of that, I said, oh my gosh, Jesus, you're real. Hmm. I, that's what I concluded. Now, the guy who wrote that book was not a Christian, and he has gone on to lead people a, really away from Christ. Um, but that actually opened me up. And it was the next year that I was invited into a small group Bible study where I started to uh, learn and understand about grace and, you know, came, came to faith or at least prayed the prayer at that point. And, um, and then, you know, went on to seminary and all that. And, uh, you know, I, I told you I'm, you know, planted a church. At the same time, over the last 30 or so years, I have been curious about what are these near-death experiences. And so uh, I've now, I've studied about a thousand of them. Um, and, you know, that's, that's been over, like I said, 30 years. And, and there's confusing parts to them. And, and for many years, Christians kind of relegated it to the new age. And yet, uh, after studying a thousand of them, I have concluded that not always the way they interpret them, but what they report commonly is a completely biblical view of the afterlife. And, um, and that's what I'm writing about. I, I write in Imagine Heaven really, one, to help people like me who were skeptical or just didn't know what they believed about God come to faith. But also, I think Christians just have a horrible view of heaven. Um, I, I think we don't have a vision of it. We have a, most Christians and, you know, as a church planter, you know, this, or you'll face it. You can't get people to sacrifice or serve or, or really do what, what Colossians 3, 1 says, you know, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth for your life is hidden in Christ. Um, and, and we don't do that. So we don't live like the Hebrews 11 heroes of faith who weren't longing for a country or possessions of this earth, but a, a heavenly country. That's why God is not ashamed to be called their God. He's prepared a city for them. And so I wrote the book as well to try to help Christians see that that is the life that's the real life worth living for. 
and uh, and and we need to be willing to to sacrifice and serve and and do all we can to to lead people to faith while we're here. Hmm. It's interesting because um, we talked, John, um, a little while ago. We have a mutual friend, Andy Froyland, um, you know, from KFAX up in the Bay, and he had interviewed you, and he he knew my story, and he said to me, "Bro, you have to talk." To John Burke, he's like, I did an interview with him. He goes, it was staggering, and he gets it. And uh, and and what was interesting was, um, and I'm not going to go on with my story on on this because for people you know, who I, don't I, know what Peyton's referring to, he's had his own near death experience when he died on the operating table for 20 minutes a few years back. So that's just yeah, for everyone and, who doesn't uh, know. And so, story. like Cuba Gooding Jr. in uh, Jerry Maguire, you're not going to make me do it. You're not going to make me do it. Yeah. <laughs> Because I'll start crying. And I remember you and I were on the phone. I started crying and, and, I, and I got embarrassed because, you know, I'm karate man. I don't cry. And uh, and you were like, no, no. Hey, every single person I interviewed, that this is what happens. Not and, one. Not one can talk about how real and how amazing without it. And, and we talked about how the, the memory is not like a memory that fades for people who have had this. It's yes. like a memory seared into your soul and it's as real today as yesterday and uh, it just moves people to tears with how incredible it is. Well, tell tell us some of the experiences that uh, some of the commonalities, obviously, but but maybe kick off with some that really kind of showed you, wow, you know, we're not in Kansas anymore. Like everybody's heard the go towards the light off of Poltergeist, you know, but, uh, <laughs> but what's, uh, what, you know, tell us about kind of, as you started studying this, what started emerging on that journey? Yeah. So like I said before, you know, until you look at really, I mean, like I said, hundreds and, and I've, I've studied about a thousand of them, some of the confusing things, uh, you know, they are, they can be confusing because people are interpreting an experience that is truly of another dimension. It's beyond our dimensional space and time. And so, you know, it's kind of like imagine trying to explain to a flat two-dimensional world of black and white what it's like to live in three dimensions with color. You know, you just, you grapple for words. And I don't have to tell you that, right? I mean, (laughs) uh, and that's part of it is that people are, they're trying to describe something that is not completely uh, discontinuous from this life we live because God created it too, but Mm. so much more. And so what people commonly say, and I talk about the commonalities of these experiences in Imagine Heaven, but what I'm really interested in is I'm trying to show them the the biblical foundation that this is not new. Mm. They're pointing to what God has told us all along. Mm. So people talk about how they leave their bodies uh, when they die. Uh, and many of them don't even know they're dead because they feel more alive than they've ever felt before. Absolutely. And more alive, not just with five senses, but, you know, some say it's, it was like I had 50 senses. It's mm-hmm. like I was super alive. And, and, um, and many people then are, they remain in the vicinity of their lifeless body. And that's key because what they say when they come back is that they were able to witness what was going on in the room. And this is actually what has convinced many skeptical doctors, you know, cardiologists and oncologists and others who didn't believe in in life after death at all, uh, didn't believe in God, uh, and yet they had their patients tell them again and again, 
that they, they saw what they experienced. In other words, uh, one cardiologist, uh, Dr. Sabum, who I, I personally interviewed, said he didn't believe in near-death experiences. He set out to disprove them. And after five years of trying to scientifically disprove them, he wrote a book convinced that they were true. Now, he, he has become a Christian. Um, others haven't. And, uh, and, and so that's where interpretations can, can sometimes, uh, you know, there's still free will. And so people can interpret them different ways, just like they saw Jesus miraculously heal people and set people free of, you know, demonic oppression. And they said, well, yeah, because you're demon possessed. So just because you see something supernatural doesn't mean you get it. Um, and, and that's true of people who have near death experiences as well. But uh, they do have a body, and it's a spiritual body, like Paul talked about. Um, and I believe, actually, that Paul had a near-death experience. In, in Acts chapter 14, it says he was stoned to death in Lystra, drug out of the city, and left for dead. And then after he gets up, and he goes back into the city. And then, you know, in Corinthians, uh, he talks about how he knew a man. He's talking about himself. Yep. He doesn't know whether he was in his body or out of the body because he still had a body, right? Mm -hmm. He was taken up to the third heaven and saw and heard things, you know, inexpressible. Mm -hmm. um, I think he actually had something like that. And so people talk about that. And it's fascinating. There have been about 900 scholarly articles written now in journals like the Journal of the American Medical Association, JAMA, um, uh, Psychiatry. The Lancet, which is Europe's most prestigious medical journal, about these. Like in The Lancet, there was one guy who was brought into the hospital. He had had a massive heart attack and was unconscious. And they realized he had dentures. So they took his dentures out, put it in the lower drawer of this crash card, then shocked him with the paddles. His heart started beating, but he never came to. They moved him out of the ER into a room, and he only came out of the coma a week later. When he came to, he was able to tell them every doctor and nurse that had worked on him and where they could find his lost dentures and which nurse had put him in the lower drawer of the crash cart. And that's just one example of uh, Dr. Sabum, this cardiologist, said he could take the testimony of some of these people and he could have taught his medical students how to do resuscitation by mm -hmm. their testimony from what they watched. And they've even done control studies. So that's what's convinced in chapter two of Imagine Heaven. I write about skeptical doctors and the afterlife and how um, one out of 25 people have had a near-death experience. This is not, you know, this wild out there thing. It's just people don't talk about it. And, and you understand why, right, Peyton? I mean, people are hesitant to talk about this, right? Yeah, most definitely. And I think for for a couple reasons, um, I I you know, number one, it is a precious, precious experience. And it, it almost, you don't need to share it with anyone else in, in one sense. Um, when, when I had my experience, it, it was funny cause I was fearless and I shared it with the crash team. When I came back, that freaked them out. I, uh, I shared it with the guy in, in the hospital bed uh, next to me, um, there were four people to a room in Britain and he was like a 20 year old kid and he was begging me not to go to sleep because he wanted to hear more of the gospel. There was wow. definitely a sense of, I, there was an authority and a presence with me like I've never had. 
And then, but then with my wife the next day, it took me two hours to tell her because I couldn't stop weeping as I was trying to explain it to her. It was different. And then I wouldn't tell my leadership for the longest time. I just told them that I had an experience. And, you know, when the time was right, I could tell them. So it was weird because people close to me, I really struggled telling them because of the preciousness. I was very jealous for it and I guarded and protected it. But it, what was funny, it was right before I had my experience, I had been witnessing to this group of uh, teenagers and one of them was this skeptical girl and she kept saying, how do you know? How do you know? I mean, there's probably no heaven and, you know, when you die, you just die. That's it. And I never saw that girl before that. I never saw her after, except the next time I ended up on the streets, because you know I would take teams out from this this college to to share the gospel and, and train them up, um, and in which I know is very unpopular here in America, but in Europe, if you do it right, it's highly effective. And um, so what <laughs> what happened was I I saw her. And I knew that was the Lord. And so when it was connected to mission and I shared with her, I said, you know what? I didn't need this experience to believe, but I, I need to share with you. Something's happened since that day I stood and talked with you and your friends. Um, and then I shared it and she just started weeping and she got, she got freaked out. Um, she had to go and, um, <clears throat> and, and I never saw her again. But the reality is that you know, when it came to mission, that's when I would share it. And the times where I find myself sharing it now tend to be mission. Yeah. So. Well, and, and that's, that's the thing that's so cool. I mean, when we did this series, uh, with our church and I, um, you know, part of, part of in Imagine Heaven, I, I integrate 120 people's stories and I tried to focus on people like, um, doctors, uh, college professors, bank presidents, uh, TWA airline pilots, you know, people who really didn't need to go out and make money selling books and they actually could lose credibility. And I brought some of those people in to our church and I interviewed them and uh, man, people invited non-Christians like crazy and they came to faith mm. because, uh, and there's such a curiosity. I mean, I, uh, I'm, I've been on Fox news and CBS and NBC because people are like, they're fascinated with this, but they've never had it tied to the Bible and to the gospel. Mm. And that's, so, so that's, you know, talking about commonalities, that's, that's the kind of the part everybody knows. But what people don't realize is um, how, how many Christians have had these as well. And, you know, so, so people talk about from there, uh, many times they'll go through what, what they describe different ways. Some describe it as a tunnel. Some describe it as a pathway. Um, it's, it's different for different people, but they end up in this beautiful world. And, and I kind of wonder almost, is, is, that like the, is, is that like a wormhole from our dimensionality to the dimensionality of heaven? You know, mm. it's kind of like, um, you know, if a painting on a, on a wall let's say we are two-dimensional creatures in that painting. Well, that two-dimensional painting still exists in this three-dimensional room. Right. And, and, and death means separation. So separation from life in that two-dimension means you're ripped out of those two dimensions into the three-dimensional space around you. But you can still experience that painting just in a different way. And I wonder if that's what's happening, kind of transporting people into this 
Uh, I mean, that's what Jesus was able to do, right? He was able to touch and eat fish, but he also passed through walls and they watched him rise up and go somewhere. Pete Pete and I are big fans of applying quantum physics to the Bible because it totally works. (laughs) It does. It does. It's funny. Well, yeah. And if anything, quantum physics has taught us, uh, you know, that there is way more mystery to our knowledge than there is absolute knowledge, right? Yeah. The quantum (laughs) physics has taught us we know absolutely nothing about anything. I know. I know. Well, so so another commonality is is people get to this place, and it is beautiful, and it's it's beauty not unlike Earth. I mean, this this TWA uh, airline pilot. I just had him with our church planters sharing because uh, uh, he's he's out there in California, and um, and and he was talking. In fact, his plane crashed into the monument right there in L.A. and just it was just debris. Um, everyone died, uh, including him, but he was resuscitated. But he talks about this place, just exquisite beauty of mountains and, and, and grass and flowers and trees and, uh, you know, just beauty, uh, like earth, but experienced in so, with so much more vivid, uh, in, in other dimensions, in other dimensions of time and of space. So mm. they talk about, and they talk about the light, how the light comes out of the grass. The light comes out of the trees. The light comes out of people. And the light is not light like we have on earth that hurts your eyes. It's light that conveys love and conveys life. Okay, now here's the wild part. Blind people who had near-death experiences see the same thing. Hmm. So listen, listen to how this one guy, Brad, uh, he was an eight-year-old kid when he died, he, he lived in the uh, Boston Center for the Blind. His heart stops. He leaves his body. All of a sudden, he can see, and he can see color. And he sees his blind roommate stumbling out into the hallway to get help because he heard him struggling. Then he he goes through this tunnel, and he begins to wonder, is this darkness? Because all of a sudden, there was no color. And, and, and Brad finds himself in this immense field stretching for what seemed like miles, huge palm trees, tall grass. He says, I was walking up this field and it seemed as if I was so exhilarated, so unbelievably renewed that I didn't want to leave. I wanted to stay forever where I was. There's no way I could describe the peace and tranquility. The weather was mm. absolutely perfect in terms of temperature and humidity. It was so fresh, so unbelievably fresh that mountain air on earth could not even come close. What's fascinating is blind people would notice the temperature and humidity. <laughs> we probably mm-hmm. wouldn't. You're still yourself. You're completely yourself with all your, your mm-hmm. senses, even more. Then listen to this. And this is what's fascinating. He said, there was tremendous light up there. It seemed to come from every direction. It was all around and everywhere that I happened to be looking. It seemed like everything, even the grass I'd stepped on, seemed to soak in that light. It seemed like the light could actually penetrate through everything, even the leaves on the trees. There was no shade. There was no need for shade. The light was actually all-encompassing. Yet I wondered, how could I know that? Because I'd never seen before that point. Hmm. I felt like I wouldn't understand it had it happened on Earth. But where I was, I was able to accept it almost immediately. Now, Brad talks about walking up this hill to this wall. He didn't even know what the wall is. He was an eight-year-old kid. But he talks about it as this wall, and it's a wall made of these different stones like gemstones and this light was coming out of him like it was on fire and he he was almost scared to touch it but he wanted to touch it and it conveyed life and love he was describing the new jerusalem 
And I show how that's what this TWA pilot was describing. That's what this surgeon uh, was describing. That, that's what uh, this pastor uh, who had died was describing. And it is what John talks about in Revelation 21. Hmm. So think about it. He, de- he describes this otherworldly city. And I used to read that quite honestly, you know, uh, pearly gates and streets of gold and all that. And I, I mean, I pictured this gaudy televangelist set. It was like, <laughs> no, no, thank you. It's you know, it was like, I love it. Cheese, just, just add the cheese whiz on top, you know? Santa Ana. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and what, what I have come to realize is that John, uh, you know, as well as what Daniel and Ezekiel and Paul and Stephen, I mean, you know, this is not new, right? But what they saw, they're grappling for words in, in our time and space to describe it. But hmm. these people who have had these near-death experiences are saying the same thing. <clears throat> and when yeah. you have blind people describing light that comes out of everything, where would they ever get that idea on earth? Mm-hmm. And yet John says in John 21 and Isaiah 60, Isaiah said it too. There's no need for sun or moon because God is the light and the lamb is its lamp and the nations will walk in that light. Mm-hmm. So think about this. Blind people are testifying that the Bible is true <laughs> because awesome. they're seeing and experiencing the same light that is love and that is life that comes from the throne room of God. It comes from God himself and, uh, and it lights up everything there is. Uh, indie ears also talk about the colors of heaven and they, 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 they graphs, they grapple with words to describe it. They say it's so much more vivid and, and a color spectrum way beyond what we've ever imagined and, uh, and how that alone is just unbelievable. But that's what you would expect because you know, the colors of earth are made up of the light spectrum of the sun. Well, don't we think the light of God is way beyond the light of the sun? So that's, uh, that's just one other commonality. Um, many people experience this brilliant man of light who they know to be God. And the, way I, the reason I say it that way, um, those who know he's Jesus know he's Jesus. Boom, instantly. Just like this blind guy understood things he didn't think he would have understood otherwise. You know, in, in heaven or on the other side, there, there is a sense of intuitive knowledge. There's communication that happens heart to heart fully. Um, and time doesn't operate in the same way. They talk about what Peter said in 1 Peter 3, that they didn't know if it was a, an instant or if it was years. Um, you know, to the, to the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day, but in God's presence and, and, and I quote people in the book from around the world who experienced this brilliant man of light who they know to be, uh, he is love. He is God. They know this. He knows their every thought, every motive, every deed. They feel loved like they've never felt love before. And in his presence, and this is another commonality, they have a life review. So the the very thing that Jesus told them, uh, that every thought, every deed, every motive will be laid bare, they experience it. They relive their lives from from their moment of, of birth all the way up until that present time. But here's the thing. What Jesus is showing them is that love is what matters most. And he shows them not only their their actions and their deeds and thoughts and motives, but he shows them 
how it impacted the people that they interacted with and the ripple effect of those little acts of kindness or the things they did out of self-centeredness. And they all come back knowing love is what matters most. Hmm. Now, here's what's wild. Some people come back knowing love is what matters most and knowledge matters too. And I always wondered about that. Like, well, why didn't Jesus just say, hey, I'm Jesus, believe in me, right? And that's, you know, that, that's, that's one of those struggles that I think Christians have. And yet, you know, it's almost as if we think that God is somehow powerless to do that if he wanted to. Yeah. He's not, you know, and, and, you know, he didn't do that when he was on earth. He taught in yeah. parables. Yeah. I mean, he, he made people seek and if they would seek, they would find. And just because he gives them this gift, that doesn't mean they automatically know. Even Paul on the Damascus road saw this brilliant man of light. Who are you? I'm Jesus. Yeah. He wasn't saved. That yeah, and he was saved. He, Jesus said, go to Ananias. He'll tell you what to do. Ananias said, Paul, you need to be baptized for, for the remission of your sins. Yeah. And, and, and I think that was part of the scandal of Jesus was he had this opportunity to make everyone believe. And John the Baptist was like, hey, man, you know, should I, should I tell him, like, we're waiting for someone else? Or because, like, look, I'm in prison here. And, like, you could, you know, hey, you know, come down off the cross. Uh, yeah. He could have done anything, but but the disciples are always trying to get him to do things he doesn't want to do. Yeah. And everybody's like, hey, you shouldn't, if you're God, man, you should be acting totally differently. Right. I, you're I, not I, doing it the way you should. Yeah. Because you're God, but I'm telling you what you need to do. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? I mean, that's our problem, isn't it? Yeah. M- like, mo- most people want to serve God, but only in an advisory capacity. Exactly. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I'm stealing that. <laughs> I, I, I got to ask the question, though. What about hell? I mean, yeah. do people have, I don't know, the, the hell experience or? Yes, they do. And this is part of, see, when, when these first started coming out with that first book um, in, in the late 80s, and then more and more people started coming forward, but they came forward with the good experiences. Now, again, there are, there are a couple of interpretive keys that I try to point out in Imagine Heaven. Um, for some of the confusing things. One of the interpretive keys is that realize one out of 25 people have had these. That's a, that's Gallup study. That's other polls in Europe. But they're very hesitant to talk about them. But when they do, it's usually because they were good and they want to talk about them. And so they come forward. And in the early studies, that's what these researchers, these doctors and cardiologists were getting. So they started to conclude, look, it's not like the Christian says. There's no judgment. There's no punishment. God is a loving God who has compassion, and um, he's not there to condemn them. Um, and in fact, one of the things that, that people conclude is, I was my own worst judge. When I saw the good and the evil of my life, I was judging myself. Jesus, or God, wasn't. He, he had compassion. What they don't realize is that Jesus already said that. He said, By your own words, will you be acquitted? By your own words, will you be judged? Will Hmm. you be condemned? He told us that. He's giving, and that is, the life review is not the judgment. And I I write how there are two judgments to come, the the, the great white throne, which will be, uh, by our own words, have you you been acquitted by your confession that you need God's forgiveness offered in Christ? And then there's going to be a Bema seat, which is the reward judgment, right? Both of them don't happen until human history is wrapped up. So we shouldn't expect it anyway. 
And the other interpretive key is none of these people died. This is not biological death. They all came back. And I point out that another commonality is they all talk about how there was a border or a boundary or a threshold they knew they couldn't cross and still come back to this Mm -hmm. life. So they're getting a glimpse. They're getting a gift. They're getting a peak. But this is not biological death. They haven't fully entered into eternity. Yeah. And that's another very important interpretive key. The other one, and I point this out in the chapter I do on hell, is that just because the story starts good doesn't mean it ends that way. Mm-hmm. And this is a very, very important interpretive key. Um, so 23% of those who do come forward talk about hellish experiences. Mm-hmm. And in fact, uh, Dutch researcher Dr. Pim van Lommel, who's not a Christian, but he says this to their horror, Sometimes NDEs, near-death experiencers, find themselves pulled even deeper into a profound darkness. The NDE ends in the scary atmosphere. Such a terrifying NDE usually produces long-lasting emotional trauma. The exact number of people who experience such a frightening NDE is unknown because they often keep quiet out of shame and guilt. Hmm. Okay, and so in this chapter on hell, it's, I mean, it's so fascinating. I start off with this guy that I, that I personally interviewed. By the way, uh, don't let me forget to, to let church planners know these interviews they can use in a series at their church. Hmm. Um, it's out on imagineheaven.net. And this okay. guy I'm going to talk about is one of them. He was a tenured college professor who is an atheist. He's taking students on a tour of Paris when he ruptures his lower duodenum, uh, lower intestine. Usually you only have five hours to live. He, it was the weekend. He couldn't get a surgeon in socialist medicine in France. And he, after nine hours, he dies. Wow. Okay, initially, he doesn't think he's dead because death was lights out. And he's standing there by the bed, and he feels more alive than he's ever felt before. But he still knows, I need surgery. I'm in a bad, bad shape. And so he's kind of trying to figure out what's going on when he hears these people out in the hall saying, Howard, we've been waiting for you. Come on. And he says, I need help. Who are you? You know, and they're, they're speaking English. And, and um, you know, the, 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 the experience is a bit confusing because you feel alive. You're still experiencing your surroundings, but time doesn't work in the same way. And even vision. Vision can be telescopic. Uh, you see things even differently, but you feel alive. And so it's mm-hmm. confusing to him. And, and, and so these, these people say, yeah, we, we know you. We know about your condition. We're here to help you. Come on, follow us. And so he starts to follow this nice welcoming committee he has, and they lead him out through the hospital hallway. And he, he, but here's the wild thing. And it reads, oh my gosh, it freaks you out. But they basically are deceiving him and they lead him into this utter darkness. Mm. Jesus talked about this, this outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And he starts to realize they're deceived and he tries to get away from them and they turn on and they start to just maul him. And, and I interviewed him personally. And when he, he, he could only get to a certain place to talk about the, the things that they did to him. And then he just, he lost it. And he talks about how from this place, something in, deep inside said, cry out to God. And he sat there arguing with this voice that he said sounded like my own, but couldn't have been like, I don't believe in God. Why am I going to do that? You know, I I don't even know how to pray. And anyway, he pieces together these little semblances of prayer, like God bless America, 
my country tis of thee, you know, <laughs> anything he could find with the word God in it because he didn't know anything. And they start to just harass him and, and, and badger him even more. I mean, like, there is no God, and now we're really going to hurt you, and there's way more uh, where, where this comes from. We're going to take you deep, deep into this. And, and, but they backed away, and they left him alone. And he laid there, and he said, I didn't know if it was an eternity or a second. And he started thinking about his life and how self-centered he had been and how he just lived for himself. And, I mean, it's profound. Anyway, long story short, he remembers being uh, – his neighbor took him to Sunday school when he was a kid, and he learned a song that started coming back, Jesus loves me, blah, blah, blah. Couldn't even remember the rest. And something in him said, I wanted that more than anything else, and I cried out, Jesus, save me. Okay, here's the wild part. This brilliant man of light comes into this darkness with hands, reaches out, and he said, brighter than the sun, and yet this warmth and love, easy to look at, picks him up, holds him like a baby as he starts to bawl, realizing how wrong he had been all these years, takes him out of that, brings him through this life review. Anyway, he goes back. Now, what in the world could cause a tenured college professor who is an atheist to leave that to become a Christian pastor? Hmm. That's what he's been doing for the last uh, decade or so. And, and his atheist wife left him because of it. He wow. lost her. I tell lots of stories like that of, wow. of people who got a taste of hell. And some of them, I find many of them repent, whereas people who get a good taste don't seek. But some, you know, some still remain hard hearted. I mean, there's this one story in there. It's just crazy of this woman, this Jewish woman who, who says, uh, she, she was there and she saw Jesus and he had such love and compassion and warmth. She never wanted to leave his side. But she said, but what's weird is I don't believe in Jesus. I'm Jewish. <laughs> and then she says, he leads me to this place where there are all these tortured souls. And, and, he t- and I knew it was my choice whether to stay or go back. And I knew this young Jesus didn't want me to stay because I'd be one of these tortured souls, but I never wanted to leave his presence. And so she chooses to go back for the sake of her kids. And yet after all that, she says, I don't know what that was. It, 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 it seemed realer than real, but I don't believe in Jesus. So I don't know what to make of it. Hmm. And I'm like, see, we still have a free will. You know, we do. And, and, and God gives us the choice. Will we receive him or will we reject him? But he wants everyone to come to repentance, you know, and and that none would perish. Yeah. Pete, any anything to uh, follow up with? I got or? nothing, man. Are you kidding me? I'm just sitting here listening to this whole thing going, <laughs> wow. I mean, the thing is, John, we normally don't have people on quite as long as you. We, we could listen to you all <laughs> day. Oh, sorry. It's because I didn't stop talking. I, hey. I, do, I get so excited about no. it because I'll tell you what, when you read it, when you read through the words of these people, you know, that's what I tried to do in Imagine Heaven is give you their words and, and the scriptures. And you feel like you've been there. And I tell you what, man, it motivates me to want to reach and serve and sacrifice and do whatever I can. Because the reward to come, man, is just so much better than anything we could touch here. Amen. Yeah, exactly. And you know, that's that's exactly the effect that it's had on me. I think, you know, I was pretty mission bound before then, 
Um, but it, it definitely, um, added another dimension. I mean, my entire life now is, is about mission. Um, and I was a missionary when it happened, but you know, some of the things that changed for me was the way that I worship, the way that I think about worship, what I feel, uh, as, as mm. I shared with you, my feelings, what I felt came back. And I, and I almost wondered earlier when you said that, um, you know, people's interpretations, you know, they, they're interpreting it according to the light that they have, according yes. to the knowledge they have. Yeah. And so it's kind of like when Paul in Romans one says, Hey, you know, they look at, at creation and these things are self-evident, you know, that God made the world. And these are, these are things are clearly seen through what God has made is his eternal purpose and his glory. And all these things are there, but you know, men can, can obviously filter that and interpret that differently. Um, yet, you know, here for me, I mean, the main thing for me was just Jesus. Just like, I love Jesus before, but the appreciation, some of the things, you know, I'll just share one little tidbit. Yeah. Um, just the, uh, you know, the, the pride that we had, we were so proud of him for his victory. And I went back through and I read Revelation and things were just so different. Um, I feel, I feel like Rod Tidwell now. You, you're not going to make me do it. <laughs> so I'm going to stop there, but, uh, but it, it is, man, it is, um, it is something that is, uh, it will change that, you forever. And, and, and that's what, you know, I, I ended up, you know, I kind of lead people along because I was writing the book so that the, these Muslim kids I play soccer with will read it and, and, and see Jesus. And so in the middle four chapters, when I say, okay, who is this being of light hmm. and show, uh, and you do, you, you hear exactly that, that people, especially Christians, you know, um, but even non-Christians and even, even people from India, they're not, they're not describing the Vedic loci and dissolution of the self into the impersonal Brahman. They're describing Jesus with a book of accounts. <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable. That's awesome. And yet, no, I mean, his beauty, his mm. eyes, people talk about, they could just get lost in his eyes forever. His kindness, his love. Dr. Mary Neal described him as bottomless, bottom, bottomless kindness and compassion. And he is the highlight of heaven. He is what we always want. Uh, we just don't realize it. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, the book is Imagine Heaven. Our guest has been John Burke, and, uh, he's got a lot to say. And, you know, what I love about this book and the way that it is written is that it, it it's an evangelistic tool. This is something you can give. I mean, it's for you. Read it. But, you know, church planner, this is something that you can give to other people to read and, uh, they will, uh, you know, the, the, your neighbor, your, your, the guy at work. I mean, this, this is a conversation starter, man. This is a fire starter. This, this will, this will get things going. Yeah. And Peyton, if I can, uh, go out on, go out to imagineheaven.net. And one of the things we did, you can do a series in your church. I've got all the messages out there. I've got the video interviews that you can use from these people. So you can, you can host them in your church, but also there are two free chapters uh, on imagineheaven.net, and you can use that to have the people in your church invite people to read about these near-death experiences. And man, I mean, our attendance grew by 30, 30% uh, 
uh, when we did this because I don't know. I mean, everyone's curious about this. It's mm-hmm. an easy conversation. It, if, you, if you just go on cable TV or look at the movies or books, I mean, it's everywhere. Um, the number one New York Times bestseller was Proof of Heaven, who was this Harvard neurosurgeon who had this experience, only he's interpreting it in his worldview and he's leading people away from Jesus. And I actually show how what he says, though, is, is showing a biblical view of heaven. So mm. it's out there and you can use it to lead people to faith. That's awesome, man. Well, John, you know, thank you so much for coming on. Can I ask you, this is for Pete now. Um, did, uh, is this book available in audio format? Yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> I'd already looked, man. I'm on Amazon right now. <laughs> Cause I know Pete's going to be getting that on audible. Is it, is it, uh, is it out there on Amazon? I know the we have CDs are the audible version. Isn't, uh, isn't out yet, but the CDs are available. Well, you can, you can get the download, you know, on your iPhone, uh, at imagineheaven.net. Awesome. Nice. So cool, man. Yeah. All right. Well, we have a question we like to ask every guest. And uh, with your subject matter, we're almost hesitant. But uh, Pete? You know, I I was thinking we weren't going to do it. But all right, I'll ask the question. So, John, <laughs> here's the question. If you were to get into a physical fist fight with Louis Giglio, who would win? <laughs> you didn't see know. that one coming, did you, John? <laughs> I, I don't know because I don't know Louis Giglio that well. <laughs> yeah, but you've seen the video where he's talking about the planets and stuff, so you can you can kind of size him up. Can I take that guy or not? <laughs> yeah, I could take him in a soccer game. There we go. Yeah, baby. <laughs> so so your secret move would probably be like a wing clip. <laughs> yeah, I I uh, yeah I play indoor soccer and nice. Uh, got my leg broken last year, my shoulder dislocated, so we're a bit physical. All right, oh, no. so uh, Louis, watch out, man! Little elbow to the face coming just, at you. It might be happening. Soccer, buddy. you and me, Louis. One, one v one. <laughs> Woohoo! All right, well, hey, brother, thanks for coming on again. That was John Burke. The book is Imagine Heaven. Uh, church planners, you can check him out at Gateway Leadership, and you can uh, sign up to get mentored or uh, get involved with some of the church planning stuff that they're doing there. And uh, this has been Hardcore Church Planning. And take us out, Arnold. Remember, if you are called to church planting, go hardcore or go home. You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planting. Hardcore Church Planting has been brought to you by the Church Planner Podcast and the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.